Ladies and gentlemen, you are very welcome to the National Leprechaun Museum's Talking Stories podcast. I am, of course, uh, Paddy Holly, and I am joined by the outrageously, stupendously, insufferably good at everything, Mr. Mark O'Giron. How are you today, Mark? I was feeling great until you went just just slightly too far with that. I was feeling good <laughs> until I thought, no, he's clearly mocking me. <laughs> and when you said voice is stupid, I thought you were going to say stupid. <laughs> so it's like, would have brought me down to earth nicely, but it is, I've just been left with this feeling of uh, just mild insecurity, I think. <laughs> but, it, but it's a talent as a storyteller to make people feel a certain way. You can bolster them up when you need to. It is. It's, yeah, it's a very... It's a very uh, great trait to be able to compliment so much someone so much that they no longer believe you <laughs> i wouldn't end a story like that though no, no. Let's, let's see how much better you can make me feel by the end of this yeah it's like because uh, i've been doing the taste of sleeve gullion a lot because I, I did it for uh world storytelling day yes and i've been doing it inside uh, in the museum all day today and when I get to, when you get to the preachy bit at the end, which is about old age and uh, love and uh, fairy women not being in love with you because your hair is grey, yeah, um, I do wonder if the audience believes me when I tell them that uh, it's better to be old than to be young. They they believe that you believe it, and that, I think that's okay. It, do you know what? It's very subjective because when they're hearing it, it's just like if I was young, I wouldn't want to believe that. But it is the better way to think about it because eventually we all ideally get to old age. Yeah. So at some point, you will appreciate that. Yeah. And it'll be the last thing you ever appreciate. <laughs> and I, one of my teachers in, in school had this very dark thing where they'd go, you know, when people would say, oh, I'd hate to get old. They'd, they'd go, uh, well, not everybody gets the privilege. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. the alternative um, <laughs> the is alternative. being a vampire. I assume that's what you meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does, does that debate, I mean, people are always debating the whole cats and dog things, like people can only like one and not the other. Right. But I've seen the vampire and werewolf thing come up a lot recently. Team Edward versus Team oh, Jacob. Oh, can we not take it there? <laughs> <laughs> Before, and actually a friend of mine recently said, uh, the creature from the Black Lagoon, just to be like throwing <laughs> something different. But vampire or werewolf, it's like, what do you want? One lives forever, one can die, you know. Um... I've never watched Twilight. I, I, I'm, I'm uh, not talking about Twilight. Really. I've, I've, but I, I am, uh, dispositionally, I am more of a werewolf than a vampire. You are, uh, you are quite a hairy man. <laughs> yeah. But maybe the love child of a werewolf and a vampire would probably be... Uh, where you're falling on that. Where I'm falling on that, so... Yeah. I'm not a cat or dog person. I, I mean, I would rather a dog because of my innate insecurity. I want someone or something, someone, something. <laughs> wow, that will, do you want me to edit that out, Bobby? <laughs> maybe, that will love me unconditionally ra yeah. rather than... Some people prefer a cat's um, sense of superiority. Well, you must, you must enjoy then, because you're doing a lot of tours at the moment. And obviously, we're recording this during St. Patrick's Week, and you've got yeah. people coming in and just adoring you. Ah, well, I don't know about adoring. Well, but... Your pocket knows it's true, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> your, your pocket knows it's true. But um, uh, what about the people who keep reptiles? Oh, I love those people. Right. I, I, I love those people because they can find 
the cuteness and the warmth in something where it's not obvious or it's not right. particularly apparent. Um, there's a couple of people who, who, who I know who have snakes um, and the affection that they show for them is just, it's wonderful. It's it, wonderful. It is. I think it, there's a level of commitment to it as well. You know, if you have a tarantula or a uh, an iguana or, you know, those kinds of animals that on the face of it freak some people out, to be honest about yeah, it. Yeah, that's fair. Then you're feeding them uh, frozen mice or yeah. live crickets or something like that. Yeah. Um, or mealworms or something. So you have to be committed to, to look at something that kind of... Oh, absolutely. Especially like a, a big bucket of mealworms. I don't know if you've ever seen them. I have. Is, is not something pretty to look at first thing in the morning. It's a lot easier to Neither open. am I. <laughs> it's a lot easier to open a packet of Caesar and throw it out to your Yorkshire Terrier yeah. than, to, than to defrost a mouse to feed to... That's what I tell you. Every morning I get up and I have to get out. Before anyone else goes downstairs in my house, I have to go downstairs, clean the, the, the cat's area, you know, change the water, the mat. And it is such a chore. Yeah. It actually wouldn't... I could be carving up a body potty right. and it would just feel the same to me. <laughs> <laughs> At that hour of the morning, it just doesn't matter. I yeah. want to say something, though, just when you said about the reptile, something that hit me was... I suppose the two people I know would be female identifying who have snakes. Right. Actually, I know several people, but the two I'm thinking of. Yeah. And they're, like I said, there's an affection there that's, that's lovely to see. I know one guy with snakes, and he's easy, he's, he's, he's a good yeah. acquaintance. And he, has the, he likes to lean into the cold, unfeeling kind okay, of. And it's like, right. no. And I know gender is not, not as strictly a thing as it used to be. Yeah. Um, or, or as it used to be perceived or socially kind of like put onto us. But there is differences in how people come across with things like that. Yeah, I th- yeah. Listen, gender is a construct, but there is a sense that uh, a man who really is into cats is, yeah. is different to, we treat differently to a, a woman who has a couple of cats. Yeah, yeah. Parents. Uh, St. Patrick drove all the snakes out of Ireland, though. He did, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. If you're getting a snake in, though, <laughs> yeah. are you pissing him off? Like, <laughs> I'd be okay with that. Uh, well, then, because obviously that's something we're going to be talking about today, and you, you'd be yeah. going more into that now. But like, there is another thing of, of applying gender to animals. My father will not hear that a dog could possibly be a female, right. and that a cat could be could be male. He, oh, he has, he has a cat and a dog. Yeah. The dog's name is Polly. Yeah. Always referred to him way with male pronouns. The cat is James. Yeah. The cat's name Polly is James. <laughs> and it's always my father will refer to her and she. Right. Because that's the way it is in his head. But with the paste. The paste. We, we apply gender to it in, in how it's been written. That's true. Uh, let, let's just track a little bit back. Um... When we say St. Patrick drove the snakes out of Ireland, obviously we're well aware that the thing that drove the snakes out of Ireland was probably the last ice age. Yeah. But, <laughs> you know, but... It's less cool. It's, basically, the snakes is a symbol of paganism. Yeah. The cult of the horned serpent was, was big in Ireland at one stage, and snakes are synonymous with pagans in Christianity. Yeah. Uh, but... What, uh, what you might, what they mightn't tell you in school is that when, when 
St. Patrick was talking about snakes, or not St. Patrick, but the chroniclers were talking about snakes. They were not talking about adders or even anacondas. They were talking about something much, much larger. Yeah. They were talking dragon-sized snakes. Yeah. We have no dragons in Ireland, famously, but we have giant serpents. There's a there's a reluctance, and I have the issue obviously with dragons. Also, don't like unicorns, but I think <laughs> our language doesn't really allow for discussion of stuff like that. Because even when people say fairies, some of us are like, I understand that it's a language that has to be used, but when I talk about fairies, I'm talking about a people who are more like witches. But the page is quite dragon-like in their behaviours, as as. As creatures that hold knowledge are sentient and can converse yeah. and and the protection of wealth, they're very dragon-like in their description. If you know, yeah, and even uh, like Tolkien's early dragons would have been a bit closer to our pest as well than uh, this this big enormous serpent. I suppose that there isn't a huge fossil record in Ireland because of the. Uh, uh, because of the bogs and the way yeah. things deteriorate in Ireland, so there isn't a huge uh, ancient fossil record in Ireland. Uh, so there isn't the same sense of uncovering a load of fossils and saying, "Oh, that's the skeleton of a dragon." Yeah. In Ireland, whereas a snake, uh, you're getting you're getting the snakes in Ireland. The idea of those you're getting those in from religion, not yeah. from uh, what you're finding in the ground. Yeah. So. I don't know. Yeah, I suppose you could say they are, they are our dragons, but they are our dragons because we live on the edge of the world and we we don't have fossils under the ground. You also see their role in being kind of demonised and where, you know, every saint took on a paste, oh, took yeah. on a serpent. And, and we see, like, you get that across, like, the UK and kind of, I suppose, other parts of mid to Western um, Europe where they slay dragons. Yeah. And that's their great deed of vanquishing evil. That's how you prove your con- credentials. But they were all coming over here and just, yeah. you know. And like the Anglo-Saxons came into English, came into England, and they got rid of the Christians. And then the Irish monks, who were still Christian, went back over to England to re-Christianize the country. Yeah. But part of the mo of being a saint in Ireland was you had to defeat a local monster. Yeah. So Saint Columba is walking around Scotland, and he's like, I better tell the people about this monster I've defeated and of course the monster he chose was uh, Nessie yeah uh, who we're still talking and I'm sorry about but today. I'm, I'm pardon my language but I'm calling bullshit on that that he ever did anything because Nessie's still there she is <laughs> yeah she yeah is. and I love that she is because she does have that kind of like this feminine kind of vibe to her but is that might be a holdover from Christianity we, we don't know that we associate that if something is evil it has to be a lady you know from I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I'd almost feel wrong discussing that with two male identifying voices. That's true. That's true. So uh, let's move along from that yeah. out of respect. Not because it shouldn't be discussed. We're probably not the two people to talk about it. That's true. That's very true. Um, we're going to have a page story today from the wonderful, the marvellous Miss Lenny uh, Bickerdyke, who's going to tell us about the page of Doc The legend of Loch Derg and how this famous loch got its name. Loch Derg has remained a place of enormous curiosity, and not only within Irish history, 
but more so of the folklore surrounding uh, the lock and the land around it for many, many, many hundreds of years. It's situated in Donegal, the northernmost part of Ireland. It's a place where pilgrims had come, not only from all around Ireland and even parts of the world, year upon year, to repent and they do penance for their sins. The lock is surrounded by these very high and very strongly pointed mountains. And around the mountains you're going to see a lot of fields, beautiful emerald fields of green, that run and stretch out from the loch all throughout the countryside of Donegal. And the water on the loch, it's calm, but it has these quite high waves. They would rise up and they'd lap against the rocky shoreline. It's said that on a misty or cold winter's morning, that if you looked upon the water of that loch, you wouldn't see sea nor ocean, but it would reflect that of the deepest shade of blood red. Now there's many claims and mysteries and kind of folklore around the loch as to why it glows this deep red colour. But the story I specifically like that surrounds it is that of the great pest of the loch. It was said that long, long ago in Ireland, in the time of the great fairy gods, the two of the Danon, that the greatest warriors of this tribe, Nefenia, they were going around Ireland and they were taking it upon themselves to rid the land of its greatest and most horrid monsters. Now, not only on the lands, but in the seas as well. After many months, there began to be a great many whisper, and tons and tons of rumours coming from the people that lived by the waters of the loch. And they swore that by nightfall, there would be a small but very powerful circular motion that would come out of the waters. And that when the people looked, they would be able to see this motion accompanied by a and that this hissing noise would come out of the water. Now many people are thinking, you know, it's just fairy, it's just folktale, fishermen and children. And the weeks start going by into the months and more and more people began to go missing by the lock. They'd never been seen and they'd never be heard from again. And the hissing, it'd only get louder and louder and louder. And one day, there's a small boy sitting by the edge of the lock. And he runs home, ice white, roaring, crying tears. And he explains to his mom that he's seen this huge, monstrous sea serpent. And it slithered out of the middle of the lock on its stomach. And it tried to grab him by the legs and scruff him down, drowning him, trying to, in the depths of the water. Now this serpent, what we would call in Ireland a pest of the sea, it's causing great havoc. And no one wants to approach the lake only when they believed that it was asleep. So eventually, the Fenia, they hear, you know, tale of what's happening up there. And they take it upon themselves to go to the lock and kill the creature. Now, this expedition, you might say, it's led by Fionn McCool. And when they reach the shoreline, each of the Fenia, they go out into the waters and they don't stop. 
until the water, it's rised very, very high above their chests. Fionn looks around. And when he gives the word, each man starts screaming, splashing, uh, literally disturbing the waters, howling as much as they could. But the waters wouldn't move. So they come back the next day. And they come back the next day. And they come back the next day. And it wasn't until the fifth day that the men stood deep in the water. But at this point, you know, they're quite tired. They're kind of giving up a little bit of hope that they're ever going to see sight of any creature. And then, of course, what begins to happen is that the water starts moving in this strong circular motion. And they see this huge beast open up its mouth and start yawning into their faces and they can smell it's like this stench of thousands of corpses right up piercing their nostrils it's awoken from its slumber and they take this opportunity Fionn he holds up the spear high and he jumps without even thinking into the creature's mouth and as hard as he could he starts piercing into the side of the flesh of the pest. <laughs> and so he jumps out as quick as he can. And before the pest even has time to think, it howls and it starts screaming so loud. It's slithering round on its stomach. They can see that all the trees around are shaking. The branches are breaking off. And then they begin to see the water, that the monster is starting to bleed. It's blood spilling out into the lock, the deepest, deepest shade of red. It says as a uh, way to remember the story. It said as a way to remember the story and not forget the importance of what the people went through in that town or the story of the sea serpent itself, that they decided to name it Loch Derg. The Red Lake. And it said when hardship or times of great turmoil or trouble that the blood of the pest will wash up on the shore again. And during these times it will dye the rocks red. And Thomas More says a lovely little poem about the lock. That dim lake where sinful souls their farewell take of this vain world and halfway lie in death's cold shadow where they have died. What a moody and atmospheric story there from the marvellous Miss Lenny Vickerdyke and what a nice change of pace as well to hear a Loch Derg story that isn't about St. Patrick uh, discovering the underworld or uh, defeating uh, the, the paste himself. Yeah. Uh, so it is nice to hear from Loch Derg, a nice Donegal story that doesn't involve St. Patrick for a change. Well, you get it an awful lot that you have um, where they Christianize our stories. And yeah. sometimes it just gets my goat. <laughs> Why St. Patrick appears at the end of Tirna yeah. It's just like, I don't know, it's... 
it's and like when I see someone put a Ferrari sticker on a Toyota Starlet. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No, not that the church would be, you know, it's just, it's not right. As well, they do it as well in like the Children of Lear when it's like, oh, that saint is too obscure. So let's put St. Patrick in because everyone will recognize St. Patrick. It's like, yeah. there's already a Christian saint in the story. You don't have to add another one. <laughs> just, yeah, go watch. Oh, we'll just assume. But imagine you were that other saint like, and you're kind of like, oh, that's my... That was my one good thing. Like the guy that originally played Darth Vader in, yeah, <laughs> in yeah, Star yeah. Wars. <laughs> Just no one else is ever going to get the credit that they're due. But it is really there when you describe that as moody at the end. And it is a really moody way to end the story. Yeah. Um, it's Because we're used to Lenny's high energy. And, and let's be honest aggression <laughs> and it's just i love hearing the diversity in people's voices in here and as well you know you could like she obviously put a great deal of effort into this one because we know she doesn't particularly like nafinia no and finn mccool no she no our, our warrior heroes that she prefers our folk tales i'm the same though and i know you're the other way around you yeah. know I like those single use characters because there's more right. freedom to play with them and i also i'd be tend to be, I suppose, more, see the mythology as more weighty and something yeah. requiring more accuracy <laughs> and respect. Right. <laughs> You're a sniper party. Yeah. I'm flinging mud from a pit. <laughs> <laughs> that is my style. <laughs> right, very good. But uh, defeating uh, uh, a huge pace like that, it's... It obviously wasn't a very easy thing to do. No. And obviously a very brave thing to dive into its jaws and start hacking away at it. Yeah. Um, why Why do our warrior heroes do things like that? I was don't know. Was their life so terrible that they were so felt so little for their lives? Well, it's funny because, I mean, it, it, people's attitudes towards death, there was a great honour in it. And it's really funny what I'm going to mention now because I'm going to mention... Drax the Destroyer from Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> right. But, in a, but I, I think within a lot of kind of, and I'm not talking about like the cinematic version of stuff, but yeah. in comic books, and we've seen yeah. the two they done and represented in Marvel Comics, but someone like Drax the Destroyer, we see the loss that they've suffered, yes. and it's all about they're hell-bent on revenge. Yeah. And they throw themselves into these things because one, they want to, they want payment for what they've lost. Yeah. But they don't see value in their own life. Bar closing the book, Okay. And settling the debt, they want to be back with their people. Right. right. And I suppose with the saints, to die, if they even died in that way, well, death wasn't the end anyway. No. And Nafina Nafina didn't believe that either. And like if St. Patrick believed his own stories. Then <laughs> I'm glad you said stories, not bullshit, which is what it looked like you were about to say. <laughs> well, if St. Patrick believed his, uh, that he had, you know, uh, he was known to go into ecstasies. He was known to go yeah. into a trance. He was known to be a heretic in the rest of the Western Church and to be very charismatic. If he believed his own stories, then he had seen the afterlife. Yeah. Uh, now, what he saw wasn't very pretty, and there's a reason they made him the patron saint of purgatory. Um, yeah. But he had that consolation, I suppose, that he knew where he was going. Whereas the the afterlife in the pagan religion is a lot more diffuse. So yeah. uh, the, I again going back to Sleeve uh, Sleeve Dolgen, uh, even in now my telling of it is uh, a bit shall we say uh, bastardized, um, just a little. You're bit. a storyteller, so it, I mean, but in our tradition of storytelling, that's what you do. 
But even in the original, you know, it, there isn't a, really a pause there before diving into the lake for no. free. There isn't, oh, it's very cold. This is very suspicious. A seductive woman sitting beside a huge lake. Yeah. <laughs> when I was in the middle of chasing a grey fawn, it was like, where's the deer gone? Why are you here? Why do I have to dive into a lake? How did you lose the lake? No, I'll go get it on my honour and just dive in. It's very self-serving though. Also, I mean, Fionn has a thing for deer. I think that's what got him in the mood. I mean, it's... <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's a bit suspicious yeah. that he's like driven by the innocence and the hunt right. of capturing. What I mean, it's okay, I'm not gonna. Right. I'm I'm very anti Fionn or or you know Finn Fionn, potato potato. But when we say the original, we're talking about when these stories were written down. Yeah, but these true. stories have been spoke. We'll never know what the original. You're probably more accurate. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but the. Like the compliments are weird because even the original says, you yeah. know, like the uh, the lady of the white hands. It's like, was that ever a typical compliment to give someone? Well, let me put this to you. <laughs> let me put this to you. To compliment a gentleman's shoulders. Right. It doesn't seem like a normal thing, but they'd love a compliment on their shoulders. That's true. Compliment someone on their eyebrows now. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it, it varies. It might seem odd, but like recognizing the effort people have put in. That's true. That's you know, true. so white hands, maybe not a bad thing. Nice to see them ungloved. Yeah. And then St. Patrick arrives with his uh, famous uh, dictum that the world is coming to an end any day now and that uh, how you look isn't really that important. I mean, he probably wasn't a looker himself. <laughs> and that's probably just one way of... He was from like Cumbria, that. after all. He was from Cumbria. <laughs> just remember from a conversation with you, it just makes me want to ask, well, which one? Because again, we're getting ready to celebrate St. Patrick, and of course, this you know, there will be people listening to this in October, yeah. you know, but it's all it, it, it's always relevant. But in terms of our, our patient, our sea creatures, uh, I know both you and me have quite an affection for the Mordrish, yes, and I think it's just because of the amount of effort that's put into the description of it, yeah. But I see those creatures as heroes in our stories. They are an anti-hero, especially how they're used in the Fergus Mocklady story. Yeah. That Fergus really should have just uh, listened to the warning. Of course. And Kind he, of his own fault. Yeah, uh, that he could have had what he wants, you know, uh, the magic shoes and swimming yeah. under the sea and seeing what life was like at the bottom of the sea. It was, was, it was what he actually wanted. You know, he could have wished for anything. And he wished to be able to breathe underwater. Now, the water sprites, or the lucre pawn, or whatever mm. you want to call them, had tried to drown him. But I don't think the original manuscript was really making that joke. No. It's just a joke we make inside there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, he did really want to see the bottom of the sea, and he wanted to see too much, and he had too much. Yeah. You know, uh, and... If he'd just been happy with what he had, yeah, everything would have been okay. As well, like a, a king in Ireland is a kind of supermodel. Yeah. They're not necessarily the best strategist in the country. No. They're not necessarily the best uh, warrior in the country. The king, to be worthy to be king, has to be physically perfect because he yeah. is married to Ireland. Yeah. The actual strategy on the battlefield is handled by somebody else. So there are some weird traditions about what it took to be a king. Yeah, yeah. But that's for... The horse one, I'm told, is um, 
complete fable. Yeah, uh, nothing wrong with that. We're talking in terms of storytelling, though. So uh, the nipple one—it depends on who you ask. Yeah, uh, really. Um, the um, I can't think of his proper title now, but he was chief arch- archaeologist in uh, the National Museum of Ireland, and he was looking at the bog bodies, and he did say that it is highly possible that that's actually what happened to the kings yeah others people say it's just a holdover from the fergus moth lady story about the leprechauns and from the story in saint patrick's book again uh the confessio about the the sailors um saint patrick ha- was looking for passage to france and he claimed that the sailors agreed to give him passage even though he'd refused to suck their nipples that was a line in his book yeah uh but that I, I love that. Yeah, I love that. That's where we've gone to with this, with this podcast. <laughs> where we've ended up there because I think a lot of people are going. What? What? What would he mean about the nipples? The, but to cut a to cut a very long story short, what I'm say, what I'm kind of saying is that it's almost the Irish begrudgery, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. the king has is already physically beautiful. He's a supermodel in front of his people. Yeah. He's married to Ireland, and now the leprechauns have given him a prize treasure. Uh, to be able to breathe underwater, he has to face the anti-hero, the Moorish. Yeah. If if he's going to be worthy, otherwise, everything's just been handed to him on a plate. Yeah. He has to earn it. He does have to earn it. Has to be, and he has to be seen to earn it. Yeah. In the same way, I suppose we see with Lubdon and the Lucorpon, where Lubdon has to take the same journey to Ireland that Esser took. Oh. They can't be won up by anyone. Yeah. You know. And again, we look at it, how competitive it was between uh, with Queen Maeve and, and, and Lille. So it's like there's always. I'd hate the pressure of it. I yeah. like being a pleb, party. <laughs> I like being a pleb. I like the simple life. But you're you're dead right. The the monsters are there for uh, as foils and to teach us things and to be heroes. Like in my own county, Kerry, the Loch Crawley monster. Yeah. About the 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 saint tames the, the Loch Crawley monster by putting a pot on top of its head. And then, <laughs> then the monster with the pot on its head, now tame, wants to go to mass. And so it turns up at the church to follow, uh, that Easter and everyone is terrified and the poor monster is so sad because it can't fit in with the rest of the congregation. That's really and, sad. And it would make an amazing children's book. And, and it, it, he has to wear the pot on his head. It's in the Mark Joyce book if you mm. ever want to if you ever want to read of it. There's a beautiful picture of it there. Is in it in the, the first or the second one? The first one. It's in the first one. Yeah, it's in uh, um, Ireland's... Uh, Mythical it? Beasts. Mythical Beasts, yeah. 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 Which is a great book and you should absolutely check it out. I've actually got to put a picture of it up on our Instagram so it will be in the most recent pictures, I'm sure. But it's an amazing book which represents our creatures mm. really well. Mm-hmm. Um it's it's not something I mean I'd love to see a top trumps of our of our mythical creatures because I do think we have stuff to you know compete with the kind of great beasts from around the world. Okay, we don't have dragons, we don't have unicorns. You were recently at Comic Con. I was. I was uh, there. Yeah. Uh, would it, wouldn't a Irish uh, beasts Comic Con where everyone comes cosplayed as their favorite Irish monster be amazing? There's terrifying image, um, <laughs> but I've just started building my costume in my head. <laughs> I would go as the chicken eater. 
Oh, which right. is from down around your way, right. which was in the mid early nineteenth century, was uh, ravaging farms down around Kerry, yeah. uh, around Chile, I believe, where it, it basically sounded like a large fox with mange. <laughs> uh, now the front legs were longer than the back legs, and the tail, uh, the tail was hairless and scaly. Right, but it sounded like it just lost the hair of being trapped in it, but. Um, yeah, and it was seen sitting upon a rock and it was stealing people's chickens. But uh, yeah, the chicken eater <laughs> costume. I know, it's ridiculous. Um, but when you live on an island... Yeah, I'd have to come as uh, the Wardish. I just talk about the Wardish too much not to go Not to be. Yeah, yeah. But what was it you say? It's 99.99... teeth and spikes. It, the original manuscript describes that, it, that its jaws were so full of fangs that its head was pressed back all the way onto its shoulders. Yeah. Uh, and that its shoulders also had spikes, so it was essentially impaling the top of its own head in in its own spikes. Terrifying. <laughs> so it's, Terrifying. Oh, we could stay here and talk about monsters and Saint Patrick and Loch Derg and uh, the marvelous Lenny uh, Bickerdyke forever and ever and ever, but uh, we we will come to a succinct and uh, uh, suitable end here uh, at this moment it was great to be here i thoroughly enjoyed this podcast in particular mark and it was lovely to be here with you today i was Paddy holly you were marco garoy and you were very good listeners